Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Wherever you are, this is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning. It is Thursday the 21st of March 2019 and and you are with the Double L team and the M Factor, all of us right here in Ethiopia. You! Uh... Which is Lyle and Lawson. And Mon, and I'm not so sure I like this new name, this whole double L Mon M thing. I feel like I'm the add on the end when we all know Lawson's the star. No, no, you're the add in. <laughs> Let's take this outside, Lawson. Let's all take right, this outside. Right, you won't. Somebody hold my you earrings. You won't do it. <laughs> I'm you're scared. I have never seen you wear earrings, Mon. Yeah, I know. It's just a phrase. <laughs> hold my earrings is what they say before they start a fight. <laughs> I don't want to get their earrings ripped out of their ears. But I don't even have pierced ears, so... Well, there you go. <laughs> then I'm not scared. <laughs> yes, should be. <laughs> I have malaria. She took on, she took on six, she took on six uh, armed Soldier. Ethiopian soldiers the other day, so I would be scared oh. if I was you, Lawson. Yeah, you should. Monica Gilesh. watch out. Uh, anyway. Okay, so, um, of course, we're coming to you from Ethiopia, which is, uh, that's a bit different. Yes. Um, a wee bit. But uh, we're ha- having some amazing adventures over here. And Lawson, I, I, what are you thankful for this morning? Oh, look, I am super thankful that I'm coming off the back of deadly disease. Um, yeah, I was, you know, as you would have heard, listening to radio yesterday, I was chucking it before the sermon, but I've been smashing the charcoal and feeling a lot better. So praise the Lord. Yeah, good news. Good, news. good, good, good. Mon, what are you thankful for this morning? I'm actually just thinking, hang on a second, I don't want to fight Lawson. He might pass on his disease to me. <laughs> <laughs> Chucking before I preach. <laughs> so you're not scared of Lawson, but you are scared of his bugs. I hate vomiting. It's not the worst thing ever. Um, I'm actually really grateful just to have so many of my of my inner circle, as I call them, uh, here in Ethiopia. Having you guys, having my bestie Vani in town, it's just so great. If any if any Shell was here, I'd be like, this would be just the most amazing thing ever. To yeah, Shell wasn't so keen on Ethiopia. She wasn't, was she? <laughs> no, she wasn't. I couldn't convince her nope. at all. She was like, no, nah, I'm off to America. See ya. <laughs> She's off with her family. Uh, what are you grateful for, Lyle? Ooh, let me think. I am grateful for the amazing bird that is singing outside the window because there are some not nice, some not so nice birds around the place. Yeah, it's true that. Give us the weather real quick, Mon. Okay, Sydney, 22, the top of 26. Melbourne, 20, heading up to 25. Brisbane, 26, the top of 31. Perth is heading up to 32. They're on 26 already. Adelaide, 25, climbing to 30. Hobart, 18, the top of 20. Canberra has a top of 27. They're on 20. Darwin, 30, heading up to 35. And what have we got for Adelaide? For uh, a wasa in Ethiopia. 31, dude. 31 every day. Okay, every it's the same day. temperature every day. There you go. Back right after this. Shit. 
Welcome back, guys. You're listening to Faith FM, and we are coming to you all the way from Ethiopia. We have the whole team here. Amazing things are happening. Lawson, tell us about your experiences last night. Oh, yeah, last night. So, as you know, I've been uh, getting around preaching. <laughs> preaching like three venues yeah, in three, three nights I, this or something. Is, this is my third venue so far. And, of course, I had an amazing two, you know, the first two nights. First crowd was 100. Second crowd was 2,000. Um, and then, wow. and then my, my third crowd last night, I had around 1,200 people, um, but it was just an amazing experience. It was so good. But you guys were at the bush somewhere? Is yeah, we were. Like we were, far from here? We were up, um, no, we weren't too far, but we were just out yonder. Like, we are just up the bush, yeah. So. And, and how did you get there? Oh, so this is awesome. So we drive in in a van. I'm with, it was, it was me and Braden in the van, and then we drop Braden off, and then we drive to this, like, dirt. By the way, Braden, I should say, is this young guy. He's 18 years old. He's never preached in his life before. And he is just pumping out this evangelistic mm. program. We actually do. We've got to get him on the show. Absolutely. Oh, that's a good idea. Because he had an amazing night last night. Um, so, yeah, we've got to get him in for that. But me and Braden, we drive in. Uh, oh, we drop Braden off. Then we drive up to this, like, dirt road. Um, this this long sort of, sort of uphill dirt road. And I'm like, oh, we're... You know where are we heading, and they're like, "Okay, you get out now." I'm like, "Oh, we're gonna have to walk for ages or something." But then all these motorbikes show up, and they're like, "All right, get on the back of the motorbikes." Familiar experience to you, Lawson? <laughs> I can't believe you just got on the back. We were told to get on the back, and Vani and I were like, "Nope, we're not getting on the back of anything without a helmet." <laughs> Look, I believe in the power of prayer. And, uh, <laughs> I believe in the power of sensible. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, "Let look, this is my transportation. I'm doing it." So get on the back of this motorbike, and we're heading up this dirt road, you know, and um, as we're, we're getting closer and closer to the destination, there's more and more people, you know, there's, at first it was a group of four, group of six, group of ten, group of twenty, more and more people till we get around this corner and there's like 300 people in this massive crowd. And I'm like, man, what, what's, what's going on here? And like, look, it's a Pathfinder demonstration. So Pathfinder is kind of like scouts. Yeah, it's this, this kind of like scouts. They, they learn, you know, different skills and earn badges and do activities and whatnot. And they were doing a, a marching demonstration. Um, so, you know, they're in a big, long uh, uh, row and, and they're marching along and then stopping and turning and saluting and, and doing all these kinds of things. Um, and it was really awesome to, to see um, because not only were the, you know, it was, I think about 40 Pathfinders doing it, but then all these hundreds of kids and, and adults and all these people supporting them and watching them do it. And there was a car behind them with speakers on the roof, um, you know, playing music and everyone was singing along. It was amazing. Anyway, we get up to the Pathfinder group and they're like, okay, you get off now. So I get off the bike and I'm like walking with the crowd. They're like, okay, you you lead the Pathfinders now. So, okay, yep. So, so he's Lawson marching, right? Yeah, I've never done Pathfinders in my life. <laughs> but luckily, I, I, I was at a church. I was working at a church where I helped out once with the Pathfinders. So I uh, joined in with the marching, and I'm marching along with them and having an, having an amazing time. And then they pull up to do, like, you know, salute to the side, to the, to the left and to the right. And I try and sort of get out because I want to watch them, you know. And then they're like, no, you stay. You're at the front. You're leading us, and I'm like, okay. So I'm just like, just like marching the pathfinders to my uh, preaching destination, and it was awesome. It was like the best thing ever. Anyway, we march up to to the church, and um, I get there, and, and and we start setting up. So what's the church like? Oh, so they actually had a church building. Okay, like, like a okay. full church building, mm-hmm. but just beside it, they'd set up a big 
structure, which is um, some sticks and some tarps and some sheets of metal. Which is, which is how they do it here. That's it's how it's done oh, in Ethiopia. Man, it is amazing. Sticks, tin, plastic sheets. Yeah. And yep, away they go. Anyway, they told me that that night there was going to be around 800 people, but when we arrived, there was just, you know, the 300 from the Pathfinders. Um, but then a, a couple hundred, I think, oh, well, 100 of those guys split off and went into the church to, there was like a choir and everything preparing. Um, yeah, and as we arrived, we uh, I'm setting my stuff up and, and they're singing some songs. And, and then one of the ladies um, from the crowd, she, she puts her hand up and wants to share. Um, and she, she starts sharing. I'm, I'm hearing from the translator um, that they were so glad and relieved that the preacher had arrived because of course they've just had the the massive plane crash in Ethiopia and they were very nervous that you know um, a preacher coming on a plane um, because they were supposed to have a preacher like three yeah, they or four were supposed days to have ago a speech, a preacher three days ago and so for them not having this preacher they started to get really worried <laughs> that maybe the plane crashed or something um, but then when I when I turned up they were just stoked anyways um, eventually after seeing and just 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 an amazing experience I get up to preach and um, I start you know saying some words in um, Amharic um, the the local language and you know they're all laughing and, and clapping and I'm, uh, I'm you know complimenting their on them on their pathfinders and I start marching across the stage and they're all you know having a good time laughing and clapping and and then um, then I started preaching and um, of course you know I'm preaching Daniel 2 that's always what I start with uh, and, and and it's a little bit different here because you know the power in Australia is when you're showing people the facts and the dates and you know that oh it just perfectly lines up whereas for these guys you kind of you kind of nearly rush through that stuff to get to the end and and really preach the, you know the power of God this is the power of God to to work miracles this is the power of God to save lives like he saved Daniel and, and then I shared a little bit of my testimony at the end and I'm like you know God showed me this prophecy in the Bible and he changed my life. And um, the most incredible thing. So these guys, like hardly any of them, if any, you know, there's 1,200 people there and I'd say probably 50 of them spoke English. And the 50 that were speaking English were responding, which is amazing because usually... Yeah, very conservative Ethiopia country. Ethiopia is very so conservative. conservative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, not, not like what you'd expect in a typical African um, and by conservative, audience. you mean quiet. They yeah, yeah, quiet. They, 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 yeah, like hallelujah uh-huh. or amen yeah. or nothing. They're just... Silent. You almost Sorry, feel like you're preaching yeah. in England or somewhere. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, we were, we were surprised by that as well because we were expecting them to be like, you know, a bit like the black Americans to be really vocal, but not mm. silent. Oh, but the spirit was just working and the people who did understand English, I would finish what I was saying. They'll be like, amen. And then the translator would say, you know, repeat what I was saying. And then everyone was like, amen. And I was like, man, this is amazing. I was getting so pumped up. Um, and then, of course, you know, made an appeal at the end. Hey, if you believe that the Bible has the power to change your life today, and if you want to learn more about the Bible, you know, raise your hand with me. And everyone's raising their hands and standing up, and and oh, it's just just an amazing, powerful experience. I, I was just, I, I was, I was. Taken aback, hey! It was it was some next level stuff. That's fantastic story there, Lawson. I can't wait to hear where you're preaching tonight. <laughs> like if you still got another new new location, or if you're going to be going. No, back. no, no. So this is this is it. This okay, is like so they're, you, they're like, yep, yeah, this is where you, you have are. you have at last found your correct yeah, spot. Yes. And I think I think it proved itself. You know, when the spirit was working the way it was last night, I'm like, yeah, this is this is where I need to be. This is where God is calling me to be. So you got the Pathfinder Church. Oh yes, yeah, so good. It's actually amazing because most like. It's, a, it's pretty much like a young adult's 
church, young adults, under 18, youth kind of church. Because it's not like there's like heaps of, you know, three, four year well, old, five we, year old. What did we say the median age in Ethiopia is? Oh, I can't remember, but I have 17.9. Yeah. 17.9. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the average lifespan is 55. Mm. Oh, that's really, that's really short. Yes. And, uh, and so it is a very young country mm. and it has the highest level of church attendance of any country in the world. Wow. So these are really spiritual people. These are people that are, you know, I've never seen so many young people that are yeah. just on fire for God. And so excited about their religion and spirituality and, and church is just such a part of you know every fiber of their being. Mm. Well, when I look out over our congregation at our location, it's I'd say a solid fifty to sixty percent is just kids. Yeah, and they love it. They love nah, it. they love it. They, they, they mob get, you. Yeah, yeah. They come <laughs> and they just soak it up. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, it was. It was. So just my so venue last night. I tell you about tell you okay. about my venue that last night real quick. Um, we taught them some Australian. So I've been trying to yeah. learn some Amharic. Um, yeah. Each night, and I said, "Hey, I've been trying to learn Amharic, and it's really, really hard. So what I'm going to do is this evening, I'm going to talk you, teach you some Australian. So a lot of them speak a, a, a little bit of English. Mm. Most of them speak a little bit of English. And uh, I says, you know, in Australia we speak English a little bit differently. And so rather than saying friend, we say mate. So I taught them all, you know, g'day mate. So the whole audience is g'day mate. And then I'm like, and then I taught them, how are you mate? So the whole audience is like, how are you mate? You know, not how are you, but the, the, the true Aussie, how are you? It's, it's yeah. one word, yeah. yeah. One word, one word. And then, and then I said, but when we're feeling, you know, kind of lazy or to like a really good friend in Australia, we just say mate. <laughs> I loved it so much. And at the end of the program, I had all these little itty bitty Ethiopian kids coming up to him. They're just like, mate, <laughs> shaking my hand. Teaching mate. Me I hope I meet some of these on the street today and just come up to me and shake my hand and say, mate. <laughs> So are you 
Welcome back, guys. This is Faith FM, and we're coming all the way from Ethiopia. And right here in Ethiopia, we have, have been having some amazing experiences. Mm. Mon, we haven't heard about your experience last night yet. I hear, I hear you had a power outage. Yes, we did. It was actually my first time going to a preaching location, even though I haven't preached yet. Tonight will be my first time preaching. I'm really nervous. Um, but um, I'm sharing a location with Vani, and uh, the two of us alternate nights. And, uh, and so I... <laughs> They still made me sit on the podium, um, a bit like a spectacle. I was really embarrassed about that. I had to sit there the whole time and people just stared at me while Varney preached. Uh, but it was really great. So, so at our location, we're getting translated twice. So once into Amharic and then and again into something else. We haven't quite figured out what. Oh, it's a language that starts with S, but I always forget the name of it. It's okay. like, I haven't even heard it yet. No, it's just a local language. It's a local language. There's yeah, 80, yeah, yeah. 80 different languages here. Yeah. So I, I'm going to find out what it's called. Maybe I can tell our But it is easier to speak yeah. than Amharic. It actually is. Hello is, is Keriho in that language. Oh, really? Yeah, so. I should find out because I'm really struggling with Amharic. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so Vani got up and she preached about the second coming and she did an amazing job. And then right at the end, the power just went out. So our venue is basically like sticks, like literary sticks. You couldn't even call them planks of wood. They're sticks with some bags of plastic bags over the top of the roof. And there's a gap between the, the church structure, which is that, and then where the podium is. And then there's um, just an open air st- space uh, where the rain was coming down because it was bucketing last night mm. and turned our, our church into a big mud pat very quickly um but yeah we were if i was preaching away the choir had gotten up and we had like we have like a six person choir we have a very small but very warm and friendly church mm. and uh and then suddenly it just went black and it like when there's a power outage you know usually it's just the power there's like there's no more power but um yeah but you can still see and everything but it was it was like almost pitch, pitch black. black yeah there's no light mm. anywhere and uh and the choir just kept singing and people suddenly just jumped up and whipped out their mobile phones and turned their torches on so that the choir could still read um their lyrics because they had like a book in front of them and their voices sort of dwindled off while the guitar kept playing but then someone jumped up and uh, gave them lights they kept singing so yeah and they just kept going and I didn't mind at all it was like as if nothing had happened like oh yeah whatever and it's so funny because this is this is apparently the norm yeah mm. yeah which is funny because in Australia like you know Vani and I were marveling like anytime there's even like a little bit of rain everyone just goes home or stays home or doesn't even come out but here they're like what if this could be rained on it's pitch black they don't mind they just want to come out and hear truth they just want to come out and worship it was just incredible um, so I had a really great time um, my first night, and 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 then afterwards it's so cute because you you sit there. And the kids just cut, and like the adults as well, they start filing up and they all just want to give you the biggest hug. They don't want to shake your hand too much. They want to give you a huge big squeeze. And it's just so endearing. These EB little kids just want to give you a hug. I just want to steal them all. I'm going to my suitcase and bring them home that with me. That is illegal, Mike. Get in trouble for that. <laughs> hey, guys, I want to talk about the Queen of Sheba. All right, tell us all about right, the Queen, Queen of Sheba. Queen of Sheba is an amazing story. Who do you um, think you are, Lyle? The Queen of Sheba? <laughs> 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 Funny. Hilarious. So this is Lord and trying to be hilarious. Now, the Queen of Sheba is an awesome story. It's found in the Bible, and you'll find that the Queen of Sheba came from the south to visit Solomon to hear about Solomon's wisdom and was super impressed by all of the wisdom that Solomon had. Um, she brought incredible gifts, you know, very costly gifts, and of course Solomon, you know, they exchanged gifts. And there has always been a tremendous amount of mystery as to, you know, who the Queen of Sheba might be. And so there's a very strong tradition here in Ethiopia that she actually came from Ethiopia. Yes. Okay, so you've got basically three options as to where the Queen of Sheba came from. Um, 
she was Sheban, obviously, or Sabian, Sabian, Sheban. And the Sabians come from uh, the uh, area of uh, the Arabian Peninsula called Yemen. Okay. So most people think, well, she obviously came from Yemen and came up to visit Solomon. However, the Sabians crossed the, the, the Red Sea and they inhabited um, Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. They formed a, a very major civilization up in Axum. Yes. And so that was um, actually for a, quite a period of time, that was the capital of the, the, the Sabian kingdom or the Sheban, the Sheban kingdom. And then, of course, you know, over time, the, the, the Red Sea is separate the two parts of this kingdom were very easy for the other part to break away and so you've basically got two Sheban kingdoms you've got the one in Yemen and you've got the one here in Ethiopia so the argument in favor of Yemen goes like this the Sheban kingdom was much longer a significant power in Yemen than anywhere else in the world the argument in favor of uh, Ethiopia is different again because she's called the Queen of the South. Now, the Queen of the South uh, is also, ref- you know, the, the, the Kingdom of the South, of course, was Egypt. And Egypt, as you go south in Egypt or go up the Nile River, you come to African people and they were called Ethiopians. And to the north of where we are, you've got the Sudan. Um, and that's, you know, where the um, the kingdom of Kush or the Kushite Ethiopians lived. And a lot of what the Bible talks about Ethiopians was up there in the Sudan. But the Sheban Ethiopians were down here in Aksum. Mm in what is modern-day Ethiopia. And so the very strong tradition that uh, this is where the Queen of Sheba came from. And, of course, you know, you've got um, you know, just the most amazing archaeological ruins here that you just don't find anywhere else in the world. Do the locals like to claim that this is where the Queen of Sheba was from? Like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. They're, they're absolutely. Absolutely. Because yeah, they'll, they'll say, yeah, yeah, people say Yemen, but, you know, because that was uh, Sheba. But this was Sheba. I wonder if the Yemeni were like, no, 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 she's from our place. She's from our place. Everyone's running. Like some rivalry. Yeah. Culture. <laughs> I mean, I'd want to claim her too if yeah. I was one of the. She's from Australia. Yeah, she's what's, Australia. What's interesting? South. They said South. That yeah, must be Australia. Australia. Okay, so what's interesting is I found this in the Bible the other day, mm. and I was just randomly. In fact, I found it yesterday. I was randomly doing some research, and I found this, and it just blew my mind. Did some more research on the passage to find out what it was actually talking about. So, cop this. This is this is Psalm seventy-two and verse ten. The Bible says the kings of Tarshish and of the Isles will bring presents. The the kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Notice here you have you have two Sheban kingdoms, and one of them is called Sheba, and the other is called Seba. And the one here I found that is actually called Sheba is actually Aksum in mm. Ethiopia. It's a direct biblical reference to uh, to where I was a couple of days ago. And so there's um, you know some good biblical evidence there that this is actually where she came from, that she was actually an Ethiopian from this part of the world. Now, something else that will interest you... Uh, um, oh, before I get to that, I should mention the other theory, which is that, uh, you know, she's called the Queen of the South. Egypt was the Kingdom of the South. And there are those that... We know that Solomon married an Egyptian woman. 
um, who was uh, an Egyptian princess. There are there are those who claim that this was the the sister of Queen Hatshepsut, who was uh, ruling in Egypt at that time, and that when Hatshepsut went to the land of Punt, because we have very good records of that in Egypt and all of the gifts that she carried, which really do line up with the biblical story, uh, that this was uh, basically Hatshepsut going to visit her sister and Solomon at the same time. And so those are basically your three theories as to where the Queen of Sheba comes from. I'm back in Ethiopia. Of course, Just absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, 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 you know, this passage... Got skin in the game. This passage right here, you know, that identifies Ethiopia or Aksum as Sheba and refers to the other Sheba as Seba, um, differentiates between the two. Yeah, it gives some credibility to that. Was, was she renowned for being beautiful? Am I imagining that? Legend has it that she was stunningly attractive. That she must have been Ethiopian, because I have long thought that Ethiopians are the most aesthetically pleasing race on the face of the earth. They're just gorgeous. You know, I would actually, I would actually concur with that. Yeah. I think that they have a uh, an appearance that is just. It is they very look different. Like models, don't they? They do. They you do. Walk around and, and you're like, is this a modelling agency I'm walking through? <laughs> <laughs> and there have been supermodels that have come from this part of oh, the world. Yeah. Very um, exotic. Yeah. Um, fine featured. Yes, very fine featured. Actually, I'd say more classic than exotic. Like just the just the structure and the symmetry. They're just stunning. Like everywhere I look, I'm like, you're beautiful you're beautiful you're beautiful so I think we need yeah. to find uh, oh, Lawson an oh, Ethiopian yeah. wife to take yes. home bring some of them good Ethiopian genes back to Oz okay I made a rule I'm like if I have to pay in cows I'm not keen <laughs> <laughs> the good no, news is do the here. good news is this is an ancient culture a very civilised culture there's no cows involved but we'll be back um, after the interview with Encounter with God Yeah. 
Welcome back to Faith FM. You're listening to Breakfast Show with Lyle and Mon. In this case, Lyle and Lawson having all the fun without me. But I'm not too blue because I am here in Kenya having fun without them. Today, I have a wonderful interview lined up for you today. One of the most interesting ones so far, in my opinion. I could have picked this lady's brains for hours the other night when I went to her house for dinner. She actually just walked by one of our clinics and popped in and said hello, and we've been friends ever since. Uh, welcome to the show, Ashley. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Happy to be here. Ashley, tell us a little bit, because you obviously have an American accent. How is it you are in Kenya? Sure. So I actually grew up in Kenya um, from the time I was eight years old. My parents moved here as missionaries in 1993. Um, so all of my developmental years have been in Kenya. And um, I lived in the U.S. for about 15 years. And I've been back for the past two full time now. And you actually live here with your husband and your family, right? Yes, I live here with my husband, Chris, and our three children, Christopher, Olivia, and Tiana. And we are actually going to be interviewing your husband in a minute. And then after we've interviewed him, we're going to interview you both together because I just can't get enough of your stories. You guys have so many fingers and so many different parts. You've got so many projects going on. And I do want to talk to you about one of the ones that's really um, caught my interest. Uh, tell me again what it's called because it is sort of like a, an African name, isn't it? Sure. Uh, my Actually, my high school roommate, Elsie, and myself co-founded an organization called Ikenua, and that means a new day or a new dawn in the local Maasai language. That's a really nice name. I love, I love it when they have beautiful meanings. Um, there's actually one organization here in town, and when they told me the name of, and what it meant, I actually... <laughs> I actually started crying. It was really nice. Um, but a beautiful, a new day is a beautiful name. And uh, tell me, what does that do? So Ikenua focuses on empowering children in rural primary schools. We focus on water, sanitation, and hygiene training. Um, we also do community water dis- distribution so that they have water at all points. Okay, so when you say like water education, I mean, I remember in school they taught us how to wash our hands. Is it stuff like that? Yeah, so the hygiene, uh, sanitation, and training we do in the schools focuses on hand washing, proper storage of food, how to use the uh, bathrooms that we're providing correctly, um, also um, bathing practices. So it covers even menstrual hygiene management for girls, um, anything to do with hygiene. Uh, we Uh, focus on and it is in a structured curriculum that is implemented in the school so it's continued messaging um, over a long period of time. So the fact that you guys are undertaking this would usually indicate that there's a problem there. So is there a lack of education in Kenya about these kind of hygiene practices and like like you said menstrual hygiene that kind of a thing and and what is and if that is so what has that led to? Sure. Uh, There definitely is a lack of education, um, but it's kind of the argument, um, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? So when there's a lack of access to water, um, rural populations, only 2% in Kenya have piped water. Most people are collecting from a river um, that's heavily contaminated, that's used for bathing, washing, drinking, cows, any livestock. Um, So they're picking up a large amount of parasites from there. Um, So to do training before having a clean water source um, where they can't actually practice hand washing um, is kind of pointless in my opinion. So first we provide a reliable water source, um, whether it's a borehole. Some of the boreholes are deep wells here. We've dug down to 900 feet 
um, which is extremely deep to access clean water. Um, but from that point, then stems all sorts of benefits, such as health benefits, economic empowerment. Women and children aren't wasting hours every day walking for water. They're now able to um, spend time on you know farming or other ventures to pursue income. Um, it's also amazing for agriculture um, because of, then they can farm year-round instead of uh, two seasons. So um, going back to the economic point, if you're getting a third harvest, you're increasing your income available by 33%. So it's really more of a sustainable solution to impact all areas of their life. And you wouldn't think necessarily that something as simple as teaching kids how to wash their hands would have such a tremendous effect down through the entire community. Because that's, that's, I mean, I didn't realize until you just said all those results. Um, it's really quite incredible. Uh, I guess I want to ask particularly about where we are today. Um, for those of you who can hear some background noise, <laughs> Ashley and I are sitting in the in the van studio and we have left the sliding door open and we've got a bit of an audience. <laughs> some of the local kids have seen us with our microphones and they're gazing at us. Um, we are today having a clinic in the Hilton, which is not nearly as fancy as I think Westerners might think, <laughs> attaching uh, the Hilton uh, <laughs> stigma there. So the Hilton is actually a slum that is connected to the city um, rubbish tip, the rubbish dump, would would the hygiene, the, the water practices that you teach have an effect? Like, Is this kind of a community, something like a place that would benefit from that kind of um, education that you're offering? Sure. Um, there are definitely are benefits. The, the challenges are lack of access to water systems in areas like the dump. Um, you know, people are often walking quite far to collect drinking water and bringing it back and then also educating um, how to purify the water they're collecting because a lot of times it's contaminated. So we do offer different methods of purification. Traditionally, people are taught to boil their water, um, but something as firewood might be too expensive, um, so they won't. They'll just drink it with the parasites or bacteria, typhoid, um, whatever's in there. Um, so there's other methods we also teach, um, such as the SOTUS method, which is the solar water disinfection method. And if you leave drinking, if you leave any water, no matter how heavily contaminated, in a clear plastic bottle in the sunlight, the UV rays will actually kill 99% of bacteria. So I didn't know that. That's really cool. So I always chuck that water out because I'm like, those plastic must have been leaching something into my water. I didn't realize it was naturally purifying. That's great. Yeah, I guess the reason I asked about this area, because this area, I, mean, I think for me, it's probably the most poverty stricken I've seen. Um, but I do realize it's actually quite close to the city, being the city's dump. And so I was wondering, like, do they actually have access to pipe water here? Because it's close, but then it's so poor. So yeah, I guess that's, um, before we move on, I do want to ask you, because the other night we were at your house for dinner, you invited us over very kindly, it was great, um, it was really nice to have pasta and salad <laughs> for a change, um, but you were actually talking about a, a system that you and your husband are working on that involves almost like a water ATM Yes. So um, there are a lot of projects throughout um, Kenya and other African countries that um, donor funds come in and they might fund a borehole and then hand it over um, for the community to manage it. And a lot of times those projects we've seen are failing just from lack of uh, technical expertise. If something breaks down, nothing's repaired. It just sits that way um, once the donor funds are gone or, um, you know, lack of there's no capacity building done. So financial management, there tends to be high levels of corruption. Um, so we're actually working with a technology developed in Holland 
and it's a prepaid um, metering system. So everyone will receive an RFID tag or token and they can load money on there via Kenya's mobile money payment system, which is called M-Pesa, and everyone uses it. It might be a Maasai herding cattle in the middle of nowhere, but they have a phone with M-Pesa and they're able to transact. So it's kind of revolutionized the cash flow in Kenya. I've actually heard that Google's been over in Kenya trying to buy M-Pesa because it is just an yeah. incredible system. Like Even I've been surprised at how easy, like everybody has M-Pesa. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, yes, that is true. And I think M-Pesa is probably actually selling <laughs> to Google. and But that's amazing because it can easily be transferred to other communities that need informal banking systems. Um, not to get off tangent, but I actually heard M-Pesa started offering a savings um, through M-Pesa so people can actually start saving on their M-Pesa accounts because um, many people can't access a bank account due to uh, the distance. Also, even getting an ID or a birth certificate, you know, when you're not born in a hospital is extremely difficult and most people are born at home here. So just all those little details that you don't realize, but now they have access to, you know, a way to build their credit. Um, but back to the water system, they're able to purchase water and everything is um, transparent. So there's no way for cash to be diverted. There's no water wastage. Uh, you know, they swipe their token and that exact amount of water they want is distributed. And they're also open 24 hours a day because another thing, um, there's lots of long queues at some of the other boreholes we've seen because an attendance only there from nine to five. So people going to work early in the morning can get water first or late at night they can access um, and the reason we need to charge for water is there's actually an economic cost to pumping the water so that'll cover the electricity bills um, and any operations and maintenance so this is a long-term solution for a community um, and most people are very willing and able to pay it's five cents for 20 liters um, it's really cheap. Is that in Kenyan shilling or is that U.S. cents? So five shillings is about five cents. So yeah, either one. Okay, so that's super cheap. I wish water was that cheap in Australia. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> five cents for 20 liters. Woo! I'd, I'd build my own swimming pool in the backyard. So it's like it basically is like an ATM or is like a tank that they approach and they swipe and it like water comes out the spout into a bucket. Is that how it would work? Yes. Yeah, so there's, a, there's actually a stand or a kiosk. Um, they call it like a small shop and it'll have on the on the front of it is the actual meter where they will come up like an ATM and swipe their card program how much they want and it's dispensed into the container that they're carrying home uh, most of the community is actually requesting water to be piped into their households and so that's something in the future we're looking to expand into reticulation schemes and piping into homesteads because that's ultimately um, what they want and what will provide complete empowerment. Yeah, I, ha I have noticed that like while in the hotels they might have some sort of plumbing happening, there often isn't plumbing in individual homes. Um, but the, I guess I guess Kenyans are aware that that the rest of the world has plumbing for the most part. Um, is are there many plumbers in Kenya? Because I was talking to my my roommate about it. Because every morning for some reason our toilet seems to stop working. It seems to like working in the evening. Just in the, just in the morning it has an issue. Just doesn't like waking up early or something. Um, so we're always having to have a little fight with it in the morning. And we keep thinking to ourselves, can't they just call a plumber? But it, is that the issue that there are no plumbers in Kenya? No, I would say there are. Um 
a lot of tradesmen in general, so there's a significant amount of plumbers. It, there's just no public utility or waste management systems. It's only very centralized to the city. Uh, once you go even a few hundred meters outside of the city, there's zero. So everyone has to do their own either septic tank on ground, um, their own water systems from a private borehole. Um, so if you don't have the money to do that, which most of the population doesn't, they're using pit latrines, um, and which isn't a great waste management system and they're collecting water and there's also some rainwater harvesting that's being done um, when the rains are available. So uh, would that mean that not even the local governments necessarily have the the money to set up like a plum a, a citywide plumbing system where the you know community's waste all goes to like a sewage plant or it just it just isn't funds for that is that is that it? Yeah and also um, they're focused Focusing on the cities first, so those things are being set up in the cities, and then will slowly trickle out to the rural population. Um, but to put into perspective, there's 48 million people in Kenya. That's the population, and 36 million of them are rural. So most of them are in rural areas, not able to access these resources. Which is quite the opposite to most developed countries, where almost everyone's in the city and a few people out in the rural. I, I did actually just this morning, just like maybe an hour ago, I had one of my friends from Australia message me and say, can you send me a picture of a Kenyan toilet? What are they like? <laughs> and um, which is funny because you call them pit latrines and in Oz we call them long drops. And uh, <laughs> although some of the drops aren't that long, which is a little bit worrying. <laughs> um, but tell me, tell me a little bit more about the, uh, the charity that you and your friends set up. Um, tell me, like, for example, how, how far out have, have, of the cities have you gone? Like, because I heard someone yesterday talking about going into the interior, which sounded very mysterious and exciting to me, but, um, they said hardly anyone ever goes there. So what kind of reach so far have you been aiming at? Sure. So we're a year and a half old and we've actually traveled quite far all over Kenya. We have some projects in Nakuru County, which is where we currently are located. They're about an hour outside of the city. And then we have two projects on the other side of Nairobi, which is about an eight hour drive from here. And one of them is very interior, as you would call it. Um, it's about... Uh, 50 kilometers off any main road on a dirt road into the Maasai community. Um, so the reach has been quite far. Uh, how long would that take to drive? Because I know that on a dirt road in Kenya here, like it's very slow going and 50 k's of it must just take hours. Yes, it's a whole day trip to get there. So we pretty much camp overnight and it's not a trip that you would do in one day. Okay, so just to close, can you tell us any sort of results that you've seen as a result of the work you've been doing here? Sure. Um, so, for example, one of the schools um, that we did a project in, when we first started there, there was two pit latrines or long drops for um, 600 pupils. So you can imagine bathroom breaks in school. You know, there was just long lines. People weren't able to actually use the toilet. So there's a problem with open defecation and people going in surrounding areas and the fields. And that also contaminates their water systems and even the river they're drinking in it 
ends up washing in there. Um, so we built toilets um, to meet the proper ratios that Kenya requires. So there should be one toilet per 25 pupils. Um, so we constructed numerous um, toilets there and we put the first hand washing stations that have ever been in a school in these communities um, so kids are able to wash their hands you know after using the toilet before eating um, and then we did the hygiene training with the teachers there and they were all certified and incorporated this education in their curriculum so even the local health officer a year later has said they've seen quite a number of uh, drops in cases at their local clinic as far as any kind of waterborne diseases diarrheal diseases um, the kids are healthy, happy, um, that's not a barrier to their education. And then also with water at the school through our community borehole and rainwater harvesting systems, they're not having to walk to school in the morning and bring river water like they were required to before. So it just saves hours of time where they're able to focus on their education. So those are just a few of the, the benefits. And we've also seen increased enrollment at the schools once the toilets and hand washing stations and water's there. People remove their kids from private schools and are sending them to the local. It's truly amazing and what a blessing, like praise the Lord for such a, a remarkable change. Uh, just in closing, tell us where can people get more information? Like do you guys have a website, a Facebook and if someone wanted to support your work, how could they do that? Sure, yes. We have a website. It's www.ekenua.org and I'll spell that. It's E-K-E- N-Y-W-A dot org. Um, we also have a Facebook that you can find us on um, if you just search Ekenua, E-K-E-N-Y-W-A. And we have an Instagram that is Ekenua Africa. Um, so we do set, accept online donations. Um, also, if anyone's interested in more information, I'd be more than happy. I can share. You can contact me through those platforms. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley. Really wonderful interview uh, we're going to have to leave it there and let the boys get back to it in the studio while I go find Ashley's husband so we can pick his brain next back to you guys don't have too much fun without me this world